0: Well, let's bow for a word of prayer as we ask God to attend to our time. Father, we thank you for tonight, this opportunity once again to be together and to open your word together. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be uh, open to receive what we have here to put into practice the uh, things by way of precept and by way of example that we see from your sweet word. Lord, we would say ahead of time, thank you for giving us your word and for allowing us to be able to understand it by your spirit. So attend to our time, Lord, as we look at your truth in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we're returning tonight to John chapter 20. So if you have your Bibles, take them and open them to John chapter 20. It's been an encouragement each and every time that we have returned to this book. I hope that's the case at least for for you, if not for the simple fact that we are continually being brought face to face with the reality of who Jesus Christ is in all of His fullness. And we are seeing in that the fullness of the gospel. And of course, here we are in John's gospel, we are approaching the end, there's only one chapter left after John chapter 20, and we are seeing, of course, the fullness of Christ in the resurrection. The resurrection is a fact of history. It is a fact of history. Jesus was a real person. He lived a real life. He died a real death, and he actually rose from the dead. You open your Bibles, you know your Bibles, you know that each and every one of the gospel writers has written an account about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, And each one, within their account, lists empirical evidence that it truly happened. That tells us that the resurrection is absolutely critical to our Christianity. It is central to the very reality of us being Christians. The resurrection means that God was satisfied with the sacrifice of Christ for the sin Of all those, he came to save. God was satisfied with Christ. The resurrection means that all those who were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world were actually in Christ at his death. And being in Christ at his death, we were therefore killed with Christ, if you will. When he died, he did not simply die for himself. But rather, he died for all who put their faith in Christ. So the Bible says, all that the Father has given to him, he loses none. Why? Because he rose from the dead. God is satisfied, and we are forgiven. That's why God, that's why Christ loses none. Salvation is by grace then. It's what the scriptures declare. They declare that in both the Old and the New Testaments. And yet, in spite of all of that, people refuse to believe. In spite of those very facts, in spite of the reality of who Jesus Christ is, in spite of the historicity of who Jesus Christ is, in spite of the testimony of the four Gospels, in spite of all of the empirical evidence, people still refuse to believe. Shockingly, even his closest followers, when he walked the face of the earth, even those who closely followed him were slow to believe that he was alive. Why? Because that's what doubt does. That's what doubt does. It opens the door to blindness. It blinds the eyes of what is truly taking place. And from a human perspective, we have convinced ourselves that seeing is actually believing. If we see it, therefore we can, therefore believe it. And then when we see it, because we've believed it, therefore there's blessing. When in fact the opposite is true, the Bible declares that believing is seeing. It isn't seeing that brings believing, but believing that actually opens the eyes, because in that there is blessing. There is blessing in believing. Now it's true, as we look at John's gospel, the circumstances that the disciples were in was not good. At least from a human perspective, we are talking about providential happenings tonight just in our own life and seeing that God has worked providentially. And obviously God is working providentially in their lives as well. But from their perspective, it's not a good situation. And in our text for tonight, they are huddled together. They are behind a locked door. They are in fear. They think they're going to be arrested, maybe even taken away to their own execution because they are followers of Jesus Christ. They're frightened that the consequences might come their way the same way they came to Christ. The last thing they expect is a physical resurrection. And in fact, they were like most Jews. They believed the Messiah was an earthly entity. The Messiah was someone who would come to earth, who would deliver them like all the other deliverers in the Old Testament. He would come and he would conquer those who were over them. He would conquer the nations that had ruled them and who were oppressing them. One who would return them to the glories of the days of Jewish rule, where Israel was the ruling authority in the region. They had no thought of their Messiah dying and returning to life. And yet... They didn't believe, they didn't believe in a physical now resurrection. And so why would they believe the, what seems to be crazy to them, testimony of eyewitnesses? Why would they believe that? This is where we pick up our text tonight in John's gospel, in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. The disciples steeped in Old Testament thinking, They're still emotionally downtrodden, emotionally crushed by what took place over the weekend. And so notice how John records this event for us, beginning in verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst. And said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be to you. As the father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples, therefore, were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in the midst and said again, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here with your hand, put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. So here's the scene. Here's the scene. Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus is now alive. The tomb is empty. Peter and John have seen the empty tomb. They've seen the grave clothes lying there in the tomb. John is now believing that a resurrection has happened. John believed, as verse 8 says, the other disciple who had first come to the tomb entered in also, and he saw and believed. John is now believing. There's no other explanation in the mind of John. He's believing that a resurrection has happened. Mary has seen the risen Lord. We saw that last time. Mary has seen him and brought word to this group of followers. And now here is Jesus graciously appearing to them also. The text doesn't tell us how many disciples were there in that room. We think it's probably more than just the men. John seems to indicate that there are at least 10 of them there. Of course, Judas is not there with them. He's gone already. He's already hung himself. So that there are only 11 disciples remaining of those chosen as Jesus chose them to be his followers. But this appearance is only to 10 of them because Thomas is not there. Now, in order for us to round out our understanding of this, I want to take us back to Luke, Luke chapter 24. Because Luke, being the meticulous historian that he is, Gives a bit more detail than the other writers do. And so go back a few pages in your scriptures to Luke chapter 24, where Luke records what has taken place. Beginning in verse 1, it's early in the morning, of course. Christ has already come out of the tomb. And Luke says that when the women arrive at the tomb, they find the stone rolled away, the tomb empty. And they are perplexed as to what has happened. Verse 4 of Luke 24. It happened while they were perplexed about this. So well, they don't know what to think. What could have happened, they're not sure. And while they are wondering, verse 4 says, Behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. Excuse me. In other words, God has dispatched a couple of angels. He has dispatched some heavenly beings to go and to be there. They have somehow taken on human appearance, at least, because it says two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. And then verse 5, as the women were terrified, bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. That's why I said we're not sure if it's just those who are there. Now, now who were they? They were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. So here you have all known people. These these are known women. These are women who have traveled with the group of disciples and others who had followed Jesus all throughout the region. These are not strangers to these men. These are not unknown people. They were not just people off the street who happened to be walking by the tomb early that morning and had some story revealed to them. No, they are all credible people who were known followers of Jesus Christ. But to the apostles, To the apostles, notice verse 11, these words appeared to them as nonsense. And they would not believe them. Do you see how steeped these guys are in the Old Testament understanding of the kingdom establishment? Do you see where their thinking is? Their thinking is completely earthly, completely on the establishment of a kingdom here and now. They are still yet to get it. They're so blinded by their upbringing, so blinded by their Jewish heritage, they can't see the possibility of a resurrection. Even if it comes to them with credible witnesses. So what happens? Verse 12 Peter rises and runs to the tomb stooping and looking in and he saw the linen wrappings only. He went away to his home, marveling at that which had happened. Again, Peter's not sure. It says here, he's marveling, still marveling. It may be that at least Peter, we know John believed, but it may be that Peter at least now believes in the resurrection. A woman have gone to the tomb. It's empty. They're told by these two angelic beings that Christ has risen. The angels are given the testimony that God's word is true. The women believe. They hurry off to the disciples, and the receptivity of their testimony is all but shot down. Notice Luke goes on to say that a little later that day, notice verse 13. Behold, two of them were going on there that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about all the things that had taken place. So there's two followers of Jesus on their way to this town that's not far from Jerusalem. They're talking with each other. They're walking together. They're talking just like you and I might be doing. They're discussing the events. And in verses 15 and 16, while they are conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. So here you have the morning event that has taken place. The women have seen the risen Lord. They've come and shared testimony. They've shared the testimony of these angels that have come. Credible witnesses to the disciples. John and Peter have seen the grave clothes. John seemingly believes. Peter, he's still on the fence. And here are these two guys. Or two people. Verse 15 And 16 says, they're conversing, and Jesus approaches them and begins traveling with them. So here is Jesus in some kind of physical form now. He appears in some way. It's a a transformed physicalness. It's, It's not the same kind of physicalness that they are, but it's transformed. It's a kind of physicality that's capable of being in heaven a physical body, but not a body like ours. It's a body from another realm, so they don't immediately recognize him. In fact, their eyes are prevented from recognizing him. And so they walk and they talk with him. And of course, we know the account of Luke's gospel here. We know. Eventually, they saw how sad they are, or he sees how sad they are, because they... At once hoped, right? Verse 21, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. They had the same earthly mindset. We're, We're hoping that this was the guy. We're hoping that it was Jesus. We're hoping that he was the one, the new deliverer, the one who was going to come and deliver us out. And besides that, it's the third day since these things happened. I mean, we even had some kind of outward hope that something might happen. And even these women, these women who were among us, they amazed us. They said they were at the tomb in the morning and and they didn't find the body and that they saw these angels who said he was alive. So some of us went to the tomb. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and we know who that was, Peter and John. They found it just exactly as the women said, but they didn't see him. They didn't see him. I mean, these guys are distraught. And so what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? And Jesus takes them to the scriptures. Jesus takes them to the scriptures. He explains to them all that this is happening. All that's happening was promised in the Old Testament. Notice verse 25. Oh, Foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Was this not what the scriptures say? Was this not what the prophets prophesied about? And beginning at Moses with all of the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. In all the scriptures. So Jesus is giving them an understanding of the Old Testament that was directly applied to him. I love this as a pastor because here is Jesus preaching an expository message as they walk. He's explaining the scriptures to them. Now, they still don't know who he is. Their eyes are still prevented from recognizing him. And verse 28 says, as they approached the village they were that they were going, he, he acted as though he wouldn't go farther. He needed to go farther. They urged him, saying, stay with us, for it's getting late. The day is now over, and he went in to stay with them. It came about that when he reclined at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. There you have their spiritual eyes being opened, their spiritual eyes being illumined. These two now know that Jesus is alive. So Mary Magdalene has seen him. The other women have heard from the angels. Peter is marveling at what has said. Peter has seen the empty tomb, as Luke has reported it. John, of course, is believing that Jesus is alive, and these two on the road to Emmaus have now seen him. What do they do? What do they do? Verse 33. They rose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. So here are guys seven miles away. They're so excited. They get up from where they're going. It's night. It's dark now. They run back to Jerusalem, another seven-mile trek, and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them. So here's this group of people again, these followers of Jesus Christ, saying they're there, and they go, the Lord has really risen, and He's appeared to Simon. Where they got that information, I'm not sure, but apparently that happened. They wouldn't be fabricating anything. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. Notice that they're saying this to the 11. So Peter's there. Peter, too, must be trying to explain that he had seen the risen Christ. Mary testifies, she's there. Peter testifies, he's there. And now these two have come in the evening. And they testify of the same truth. And they, too, are met with doubt. You say, how so? Because that's exactly what Mark's gospel says. After the women reported it and they refused to believe it. After that, it says in Mark chapter 16, verse 12, he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along the way of the country or to the country. And they went away and reported it to the others, but they did not believe them either. They didn't believe them either. So here you have all these testimony, all these witnesses, all these people who have seen it. And you go back to Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 36. And while they're telling these things, while they're saying that to these, these people, what happens? He himself stands in their midst. They're, they're so frightened now. They're so startled by what is taking place. They thought they're seeing some kind of spirit, right? Verse 37, they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing some phantom, some spirit. They're so confused, their mind is going crazy with all that's taking place. And he says to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your hearts? Why are you afraid and why are you doubting? You see my hands, you see my feet, that it is myself. Touch me. See. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. It's a side note. There's an indication of how we're going to be in glory. Somehow we're going to be some kind of glorified body that has flesh and bones, but can be in heaven and yet is not earthly. This is Jesus in his resurrection body. Why do you doubt Why did doubts arise in your heart? Look at my hands, look at my feet. And he showed him his hands and his feet while they still could not believe it. Notice that verse 41. And while they still could not believe it, why now it's changed before it's startlement. It's, it's frightened. They thought they're seeing a spirit. They weren't believing the testimony of others. Now they're not believing for what? For joy. For joy. And marveling. Now they're so out of their minds, they're so happy, they they their belief hasn't even entered their mind yet. He says to them, Have you anything to eat? You got anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it before them. Uh, there's a whole lot we could we could spend our time on in just that portion of scripture. But I want to, I want to now take us back to John chapter 20, John chapter 20, because this is really where we want to go tonight. Jesus has appeared. Once again, he's appeared to Mary. The angels have declared his resurrection to the other women. He's appeared some point to Peter He's appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and now it's time to appear to the eleven. Verse 19 of chapter 20. When therefore it was evening on that day, what day? The first day of the week. First day of the week. The evening, the doors are shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus comes. And he appears. When it was evening, the first day of the week, that's that's why we meet on the Lord's Day. That's why Sunday is our day of worship. It's the first day of the week. It's the Lord's Day. So here they are. The doors are shut. The disciples are there. They fear the Jews. They fear the consequences that may be coming their way. And by the way... When it says here, the door is shut, that simply means in the original language, the door was barred and locked. They had locked themselves in. That's how frightened they were. They locked themselves in the room because they're afraid of those who might be dispatched on behalf of the Jewish leadership, on behalf of the Roman army, to come and get them from this room. And John, who's there, simply says, "And Jesus came and stood in the midst. You'll read all kinds of commentaries. And all kinds of crazy theories about how Jesus got in the room. There's weird things people say, you know Jesus was already in a room, and somebody locked the door, didn't know he was there. Jesus came through an open window, and nobody knew he was coming through that open window. All of that is nonsense. Jesus came in the room because Jesus can do that. He's in his glorified body. Jesus passed right through the elements, whatever that takes. There was no stone walls that stopped Jesus, no barred door that would stop Jesus. Jesus just does what he needs to do. He takes the, the, like a, like a Star Trek movie almost where he transports and the molecules all go weird and then they all come back together. I don't know how it was, but Jesus got in. No problem. stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Jesus is no longer physical. At least as we know physical. Physical obstacles are no issue for Jesus. He's not like he once was. He can just appear and disappear. That's what he did with the road to Emmaus guys. He just fed them and then said, I'm gone. And what amazes me is that when Jesus meets these men, when he meets them, he cares about their trauma. He cares about their trauma. Notice what he says. They're there for fear of what the Jews do. Jesus comes and stands in their midst. That can't be but a little bit frightening. And Jesus cares about their trauma. Peace be with you. He's not a spirit. He's not a phantom. He's physically there. It's not some kind of aberration that somebody is seeing. He shows him his hands. He shows him his feet. Shows him his side. Verse 20. John says the same thing that Luke says. John says he's really there. It's not a physical apparition. It's not a hallucination. It's not something like that. Jesus is really there in bodily form, glorified form, a resurrected body. And by the way, just another side note, this is exactly how we're going to see Jesus in heaven. This is exactly how we're going to see Jesus in heaven. We're going to see Jesus as the resurrected, crucified lamb of God. He will look the same to us as he looks to these guys. We will be able to see the nail prints in his hands and his feet. We'll be able to see his side the same way. You say, really? Yeah. Go to Revelation chapter five for a minute. Revelation chapter five. Just listen to this. Here's John, the writer of the gospel we're in. And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne, chapter 5, verse 1, a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it, and John says, and I began to weep greatly. because no one was found worthy to open the book, to look into it. One of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And John says, and I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain. See that? This is is heaven's glory. I saw a lamb standing as if slain. That's Jesus. This is the one who opens the seven seals. This is Jesus, the, the living, slain, once was slain lamb of God. That's why we're going to see him just like these guys see him in John 20. As if he'd been slain. So even in heaven, Jesus will have his wounds. There will be undeniable evidence of him having been slain. And so in John 20 and verse 20, John says, the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. You think? You think? Right? I mean, they thought he was dead. And now they see him alive. You talk about rejoicing. They rejoiced. So verse 21 says to them again, Jesus therefore says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. They were traumatized at first and he said, peace to you. Now they know who he is. Now they know he's alive. Now they want to throw a party because he is alive and he has to calm them down again. Why? Because he has something to say. Jesus has something to say. What is that? Notice verse 21 and 22. 23. Peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. For if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you restrain sins of any, they have been forgiven. Retained Have been just simply means God has already done that. You're recognizing the reality of what has taken place. It's not them doing those acts. It's not them forgiving anybody. They have no right to forgive any sins. It's it's them recognizing that. The realization of what God has already done. The resurrection has happened. Jesus has a message. I've risen from the dead now. It's time to go and tell others about it. Now it's time to go and tell others about it. Now think about it. Think about it. This is the first thing Jesus says by way of command to his disciples after he rises from the dead. It's the first thing he says to them by way of command. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. In other words, go and tell others. Go and tell others what has happened. Go and tell others about me. Go and tell others what you know. And what do the apostles preach? When you go to the book of Acts, when you go to all the church epistles, when you go through the New Testament, what is it they are preaching? They are preaching Jesus Christ and Him risen from the dead. They are preaching the resurrection. It's the very same thing that you hear from Matthew, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. We're not going to turn there, but it's the very same thing. Go make disciples, teaching them all that I have taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them, baptize them, make disciples. It's the same thing recorded in the Gospel of Luke. The end of the resurrection. This is the same thing, same reality that Jesus does. The gospel writers recognize it. They know it. Same kind of message. Here's the Spirit. You, you now have the Spirit. Now go and do as I have done with you. Reduplicate yourself. Tell others of salvation. Tell others of the forgiveness of sin through repentance and faith. Preach that I am alive. Can I ask us a question tonight? Why did the Father send the Son into the world? Why did the Father send the Son into the world? Did God send the Son into the world to bring about social change in the world? Is that why Jesus came? Did Jesus come in order to bring about some kind of economic reform so that all people would be on equal ground economically and everybody would be the same and feel the same? Is that why Jesus came? Was it to give mankind some kind of moral compass where he could somehow in his own self and grab himself up by his own bootstraps and improve his status in hopes of eternity? Was that why Jesus came? No. No. No, it was none of those things. The Bible tells us that the Son of Man came to what? To seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That's why he came. That's why he came. He had no other purpose. There was no other reason why Jesus came to this earth. His purpose was salvation. The father sent the son to seek and to save the lost, to provide the, sacrifice that was necessary in his death and by his death as the satisfaction for the sins of those whom God had chosen to save, and the satisfaction that was necessary was seen in the resurrection so that there was salvation that would be brought to all God's chosen people throughout all redemptive history. That's why Jesus came. And so Jesus says to the disciples, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. You, Do you see what he's saying? The same reason I came is the same reason you're here. The same reason why I'm here and what I accomplished on your behalf is the same reason why I send you. The Father sent me for gospel evangelistic purposes. I send you for the very same reason. Jesus says, That's why you're here. You're not here for anything greater or anything less. Listen, our entire purpose as Christians, our entire purpose as disciples is the very same task for which Jesus was originally sent. And I think sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget that. Jesus says, or the text says, he breathed on them, said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Why? Because the task isn't easy. You can't do it alone. Jesus relied upon the Spirit. Remember Matthew 4, when he was sent out into the desert, the Spirit came and ministered to him. Jesus was ministered to By the Spirit. We can't do it without the Spirit. It can't be done any other way. You say, wow, what a charge. What a command. What a charge that is. Notice verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Jesus gives the command. Jesus gives the spirit. Thomas is not there. The other disciples, therefore, were saying to him, we've seen the Lord. <laughs> but he said, good news, guys. Great news. Look, look I, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. I've heard the women. I've heard these other testimonies. I've heard the guys from Emmaus. They came and talked to me. Uh, I've heard all this. I've heard the testimony. But unless I see... Unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. What does Jesus do? After eight days again, now this is the next Sunday, after eight days again, his disciples are inside. Thomas is with them, Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and he stood in their midst, same thing he did before near Jesus again. And he says, peace be with you. And then he highlights Thomas. You know, I, every time I read this scene, I, I think of this big heavenly light, like a, like a spotlight coming down. Yeah. And Thomas was there. <laughs> it's the only guy. Reach your finger over here, Thomas, reach your finger. See my hands reach your, reach here with your hand and put it in my side be not unbelieving what compassion what care what concern don't be unbelieving but believing thomas says my lord and my god jesus says to him because you have seen me you have believed Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. See, here's the guys again. A week later, they're still fearful, still locked up, still fearful of what might happen from the world outside. And Jesus comes back and he says, peace be to you. Just like before, he condescends, he cares for them. The trauma is not overwhelming to him. He says to Thomas, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. By the way, I, I you know, again, uh, it's more of a statement here than it is a question. Because you've seen me, you've believed. That's more of a statement. Blessed are they who did not see and believed. See, that's directed at all of us. That's directed at all of us because none of us have seen it. None of us have seen it. They saw it. We have the testimony. They saw it. We have it. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith. We don't need to see the risen Christ to love him. We don't need that. We don't need a vision of him. We don't need him to appear to us in order to believe Why? We have the written record. We have the Word of God. We have the full Scriptures. We have a risen Christ. It is a historical fact. We have a risen Lord that we love and that we believe. Only understood by the supernatural miracle of the new birth. It's the only way we understand it we cannot explain it we cannot explain the resurrection and how it took place other than to say it was supernatural any more than we can explain the trinity and how it works but we believe it we believe it see we as christians have been called we've been called we've been commissioned We've been empowered by the spirit to go into all the world with the message of repentance, the message of forgiveness in Christ alone. Just like the disciples before, so we now, that is why we are here. That's why we're here. There is no other reason. We are here with that purpose and that purpose alone. This is a ministry given to us by Christ. It is a ministry carried out in and through us by the Holy Spirit. And it is a message with eternal repercussions. That if you do not believe, there will be an eternity in hell. What a message. A mercy, a message of grace. Sins can be forgiven And yet it's a curse, really, to those who refuse to believe. That's why we're here. That's why the resurrection is the reason why we are here. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for just the wonder of your word, majesty that it is to us, the greatness at which you have seen fit to give us testimony of what took place, so that while we do not see it now, we believe it, while we do not have eyewitness testimony ourselves to the validity of it. We believe it because there is plenty of eyewitness testimony and your word declares it. We would be remiss if we resisted any of that. So Lord, help our faith. We believe, help our belief be solidified in the reality of what we have heard tonight, the truth of the resurrection, and help us not Think on earthly terms. Help us understand why it is we are here. The only purpose you have left us here in this place so that we might go and tell others about you. You have risen, you are alive. And there is no other name under heaven by which man must be saved but the name Jesus Christ. So we pray. That if there's those among us who do not know Christ, you would crush their heart. You would cause them to believe, allow them to understand their sinfulness and that there is forgiveness in Christ alone. And may they see the gospel reflected in us, sinners saved by grace, who know the truth, not because we figured it out, but because you opened our eyes to understand it, to know you. And may you be honored. Even this week in our life as we live, according to your providential grace, in each moment as you take us through this week, use us now for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.